Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope that this message from Pastor Jason Charles and the City Collective team challenges and inspires you. Enjoy. Good morning, City Collective, and happy Father's Day. Thanks for joining us for Church Online. My name is Jason, and I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here at City Collective. Wherever you're watching from this morning, know that you are so, so welcome. Now today, today being Father's Day, should lead us to pause and give thanks for the fathers and father figures in our lives. Dad jokes aside, thanks to BG, Bless, Hannes, Jer, Aaron, and Andrew. Let's be honest, that call was over the minute Aaron came on the screen in that outfit. But thank you for your fatherly wisdom. We love and appreciate you, and we are better because of you. We need you, and we are so grateful that you're a part of our community. And on this special day, uh, I gotta give a shout out to my dad back in Calgary, whom if you've ever met, is the best there is, and a beacon of God's love wherever he goes. And this is my proverbial online hug to you this morning, dad, love you, happy Father's Day. And today is also week three of our series as we go through the Beatitudes and consider these mic-dropping, statement-making, society-shaking statements that Jesus begins on his Sermon on the Mount in these series of eight phrases. And last week, Pastor Ian, he brought the idea of poor in spirit to the forefront, our shared need for more than we have, and God's deep love for us drawing near in the midst of our bankruptcy. And we continue this week looking specifically at verses 7 to 8. And I would invite you to lean in this morning, pay close attention. We're calling this sermon, Have Mercy. Let's read Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Matthew 5, verse 1 to 12. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Thank you to Kaylee, Abby, and Biggie for leading us in the scripture reading this morning. And shout out to Kevin. Uh, we appreciate you. Thanks for giving us a little bit of an update of how we were able to stay connected in this Father's Day season. Uh, now, these statements that we've read together, they, they kind of pile on and they bring us to this place of mercy. And this phrase mercy to me is an interesting one because we find it used in a variety of different ways. What does the phrase have mercy spark to your mind? Maybe it's this Southern soul food restaurant in Edmonton, unlikely. Uh, maybe it's a, a song that with 17 million views on YouTube. You don't really need to admit that. Maybe it's a catchphrase from Uncle Jesse on the 90s classic Full House, have mercy. High, high likelihood that that's what you're thinking. But we also know that it's a cry for leniency from a man on trial to a judge. It's a, it's a hope for compassion. Now, 
it's a phrase that can carry so many different meanings, but the power of words comes in the intent that they carry. And isn't that a powerful part of our lives today? Our intent, our desire, our will. Because haven't you ever done something that looked one way on the outside and didn't actually come across that great from a place on the inside? It's a dramatic moment that might play out in your mind as I ask this question, but let's be honest, there's also a multitude of these microaggressions that play out on a daily basis. Preset beliefs, unhealthy emotional traumas, selfish tendencies, bad days at work, or maybe you just woke up on the wrong side of the bed and you're having an off day. I am guilty of this and I have to be owning it on a consistent basis. And with the pandemic extending now into the month of June, Adriana and I have now had 60% of our marriage in self-isolation. And there have been wonderful parts of that, but in many ways we have been forced to process through far more than we expected. And sometimes simply because we couldn't avoid it, sometimes because we really needed to do it. And perhaps you've noticed these past few months that a lot of my stories have been about Adriana. Well, it's because we are literally spending almost 24 hours a day, seven days a week together. And I love her more than ever, but sometimes it is clear that our conversations don't have maybe the most pure of intent as they should be, or we're not showing mercy in a way that we needed to, to move past the conversation. Everyone told us this at the beginning of our marriage, that it's going to expose how selfish you are. Well, I need to confess that has been 100% the truth and we are exposed. And it always comes back to this place of intent with our words, with our actions, with our interactions. And this is true of what we see in the Bible as well. It's in relationships on an everyday basis and it's in relationships with God that in 1 Samuel, it says, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. It's tied to intent. Because why you do what you do has a greater impact than when you simply do it. The why makes the impact of the moment past simply the outward, but it makes it about the inward. And an inward transformation is what God truly desires in us. This is God's intent. This is the intent of the Father for us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And what Jesus outlines here in the scripture is what it looks like to be transformed from the inside out, to become a beatitude people. And this is important to catch in our reading of this text, that the qualities that Jesus blesses are not simply natural human qualities because none of us can actually produce these on our own. Jesus did not come looking for beatitude people simply to call them into his kingdom, to join the party. He first called ordinary, broken people to himself and into his kingdom. And as a result of being in contact with Jesus, as a result of submission to his rule, the qualities begin to appear as blessings in their life. And the first line of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is not blessed are the poor in spirit, therefore theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It is blessed are the poor in spirit, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The, the, the packaging of the Beatitudes matters. Because Jesus, he, he chooses to bracket the phrases, uh, this phrase, theirs is the kingdom, at the beginning and at the end. And in many ways, this means we can read 
all of the phrases that happen in the Beatitudes with the same ending. And this means that the second through seventh Beatitudes are different dimensions of the inbreaking of the kingdom of God, different ways of saying what this means and what this looks like, looking at how the whole is packaged, we can discover what God's new order is all about. It's, a, it's about being comforted. It's about inheriting the earth, about capturing a, a craving, a desire for righteousness. It's, it's this desire for right relationship. It's about receiving mercy. It's about showing mercy. It's about seeing God, which is perhaps the greatest blessing of all. It's about being called and treated as children of God. Jesus is, is not describing eight qualities of eight different people. Rather, he's describing eight different qualities of the same person. He is outlining qualities of kingdom people. Rather, he is describing eight interrelated qualities that emerge in every kingdomized person. Someone who comes into contact with Jesus. Jesus is saying that when someone is grabbed hold of by him and his gospel, his good news, he becomes poor in spirit. He becomes meek. He becomes merciful and pure in heart. And the poor in heart are meek and the meek are pure in heart and the pure in heart are merciful and the merciful hunger and thirst for righteousness and it's all interrelated and tied together. So know this this morning, if you feel like you lack in one area and you got another, there's a connection to be found. There's a craving to be birthed. There's a mercy to be shown because, because each beatitude is intertwined with the other. The the first three Beatitudes in Matthew 5, they describe the emptiness of, of a blessed person. And perhaps this is really difficult to comprehend, especially in our modern day understanding of success. But we need to empty ourselves in order to be truly filled by that which God desires for us to discover in our purpose and in our fullness as children of God. And the condition of blessed emptiness is followed by a hunger and thirst for the fullness of righteousness. It, it leads us to a place of mercy, of purity, of, of peacemaking, and how that abounds on the inside of us once we start to commit ourselves in this way. So let's look specifically at verse 7 right now. Because we find it saying, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And perhaps this is both the most and least paradoxical of the eight Beatitudes because I hear it and I say, of course. <laughs> it seems to actually make a ton of sense. Definitely more so than being poor in spirit or being meek or, or to mourn. But when Jesus begins to unfold the nature of mercy, I start to think that this quality is even more upside down than the others. Because to practice mercy is to practice a profoundly paradoxical way of being. And, and this beatitude, more so than the others, is even, it, it can seem more measurable. Daryl Johnson, he calls it like this. It's one which we wear on our sleeve. And then William Barclay, he states that this mercy lodges in the heart, but expresses itself in the hand. And then I have a multitude of questions that kind of roll through my brain when I read this. What is this mercy that Jesus blesses us with? Is it letting people run over me? Is it letting wrongdoing going on around me? Is it the allowance of injustice 
to win? Is it passive? And what does Jesus mean when he says that they will be shown mercy? Is this the only way we deserve mercy? By showing mercy? I think Jesus is clearly saying that mercy begets mercy. That the more we experience mercy, the more we extend mercy. But is Jesus saying that unless we extend mercy to others, we will not receive mercy from God? Now, these are some of the questions that have rolled through my brain when reading this. So first of all, let's look at the question, why does being merciful even matter? First off, we see that Jesus himself is merciful. So that's a good place to go to. That the exact word used in this beatitude is found only in one other spot in the New Testament. And that's in Hebrews 2 verse 17 to explain who Jesus is. A merciful and faithful high priest. Jesus is mercy. And not only is he merciful, but mercy is one of his greatest concerns. We see this in Matthew 9, verses 12 to 13. As Jesus responds to the Pharisees criticizing him for hanging out with those marked uh, unsavory, quote-unquote. And we see this in Matthew 12, verse 7. As Jesus responds to Pharisees criticizing him for doing good on the Sabbath. Hang around Jesus long enough and you cannot begin to take on anything but his bent toward mercy. You see it, you want to do something about it. And, and this, this mark, it grabs someone when they grab hold of the good news of Jesus. And it's this new order of mercy. And when you receive mercy, you show mercy. To receive it from God is the greatest stimulant to a life marked by mercy. Because the relational capacity of our world is lost when we eliminate mercy from our conversations in the pursuit of justice. We believe that they're isolated sometimes, but the reality is you need mercy and I need mercy. And mercy is often more than we make it out to be. We think it's actually letting people get away with something. We think it's it's actually being passive. But in many ways, being merciful is more than simply weakness. This concept of masculinity that is spread throughout the narrative of culture that would have fathers believe that emotion, kindness, and grace is weakness. But the best fathers I know are ones who carry this idea of mercy so deeply that they weep at the sight of their little ones doing the, the most wonderful of things and they have the softest hearts and they start to lean in in a way that actually shows mercy to those around him because perhaps mercy matters more than anything because it is the outward expression of unconditional love. One that we can see in our earthly fathers and we see in our heavenly father. And the second question I kind of come up against is what is the, the nature of mercy? It can sometimes be a two-sided coin. And on the negative side, it's not giving people what they deserve. And then on the positive side, it's giving someone what they don't deserve. And it's, it's this interplay that causes a lot of confusion within us because mercy always is undeserved blessing. And this is who we see Jesus to be, that God himself took upon all the sin of the world and then God himself bore the consequence for sin which is death and then being merciful simply means not giving a person what they justly deserve. Jesus does what mercy does on the inside of us and what we need to learn to show mercy to those around us. It's kindness shown to one in need. It's it's pardon according to one, uh, it's pardon accorded to one in the wrong. 
Mercy is extending kindness to the helpless and pardon to the guilty. And Jesus exemplifies both of these traits. Jesus extends kindness to us who are in great need, who are so utterly helpless. Jesus extends pardon to us who are in the wrong. We were drowning and Jesus dove into the water to rescue us as we cried out mercy. And this idea of kindness to those in need is one that we see that Jesus talked about in his ministry, specifically in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Perhaps you've heard of it before. And and he develops this idea of kindness to those in need further because mercy is kindness that extends beyond ourselves. And it's important to note that the Samaritan did not need to know why the man was in need. He extended kindness regardless of how the man got himself into that mess. He didn't know why he was suffering, but it didn't matter. Mercy extends kindness to the needy regardless of the reason for the need. And I know for myself, I can have a difficult time with this because how many of us feel justified in withholding mercy when we find out that the reason for a situation? Sure, there are consequences for actions that they play out in our lives on a daily basis, but the reality that Jesus presents is that mercy always involves taking risk. Risk of loss of time, of money, of health, of reputation. And the Good Samaritan is a picture of Jesus and mercy does not worry about the loss of a name. Mercy risks for the sake of others. Now, don't get me wrong. I wholeheartedly believe that you need to spend consistent, intentional time for self-care and personal development. But if all of your self-care and all of your personal development has no outflow of mercy and grace in our life, there is no means by which you are willing to stretch beyond which you are comfortable, then our intent for our lives is to place our happiness and our success as the highest priority above all things then mercy simply becomes a convenience. That I'm going to criticize Colin Kaepernick for kneeling during the national anthem four years ago, five years ago, because that serves my purpose. But I'll support him now kneeling during the national anthem because that serves the way I'm feeling today. So I'm going to be prejudiced in my mercy. And because what is the purpose in that moment? Well, it's actually to serve myself. So the question we're left with, what is the purpose of your heart? What is the intent of your life? Do you only show mercy so it makes you look good? The next question that I'm confronted with is, do only those who show mercy receive mercy? But here's the thing, God's mercy comes first. God's mercy breaks in and enables us to know and express mercy. And then Jesus is saying that if we withhold mercy from others, God will withhold mercy from us. It seems a little bit off. Is, Is Jesus saying that if we don't cancel the debts of others, God will not cancel our debts? Now, this is something that I've often wrestled with. But we have to come back to where mercy truly originates. We must understand that mercy originates from God. So to believe that it is conditional actually places the power of mercy in the wrong hands. I think Jesus is saying that if we are asking God for mercy, while refusing mercy for someone else. We are not in that moment actually asking God for it. Oh, we might use the right words, but in reality, we're not living in the the truth of the words. 
That when I'm refusing mercy for my brother, I'm not grasping what I'm asking for myself. To refuse to pardon another is to refuse to cancel the other's debts. So how can I genuinely be asking God to cancel my wrong while refusing to cancel another's mistake? When I am refusing to give another person mercy, I am implicitly saying that he or she must go first pay his or her debts. If I go into the presence of God with that frame of mind, it means that in spite of my words, I either think that I have paid my debt or I think I can pay it. In, in either case, it means that in that moment, I am not seeking mercy. I am seeking to justify myself before God. If I ask for mercy from God, but I'm not willing to extend it to another, I'm not really asking for mercy. I have lost touch with who I am before God. And we all justify ourselves, but to humble ourselves and to recognize our need is something that frees us into the potential of tomorrow. And hear me when I say this, stop trying to pursue appropriate levels of sacrifice of, and generosity that you can simply handle. If your meekness, if your mourning, if your hunger, if your purity of heart, your humility are predicated purely on your ability, that you are operating on what you can do, that you have enough, well then Jesus might as well begin the Beatitudes applauding you and just being excited that you do everything well already. But he's actually saying that when people recognize their need, when they cry out for help, when they say they have a destiny, deficit and they ask to be filled and they recognize their bankruptcy and they declare the reality of it, they will begin to live their lives from a new system. And what this looks like practically is strongly considering pursuing more humility than you can handle. In sync with the heart of the Father are those who practice mercy who do not give those who sin against them what they deserve, but who give those who sin against them what they do not deserve, kindness and pardon. For they shall be shown mercy upon mercy upon mercy. It's only when I show mercy that I begin to understand the mercy that has been shown to me. And Jesus, He's starting to talk about what all of that process looks like when it takes root. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful. Those who are beginning to shift and to see change, to live out grace in their lives with those near them. Jesus says, now you will be shown more of what is taking root inside of you. Because this is the beauty of the gospel. As we are shown mercy, we become merciful. As we become more merciful, we get a better sense of what mercy is all about. And it is this cycle that draws us up and in and closer to the divine. No wonder the next one says that it is pure in heart. Because God's not calling us to be perfect. And the word pure can sometimes twist it, twist it to make it seem that way that I need to get everything just right in order for God to then reveal himself to me. Only then I can see God. But what it's saying is that pure in heart are those who extend mercy, who hunger, who crave, who are poor in spirit. Like I said, it's the culmination in that moment because God's not asking for perfection when he's talking about pure in spirit. He's coming back to this place of intent. Peter Kraft, he says this, he says, we attain purity of heart, not merely by the imitation of Christ, but by the incorporation of Christ 
into our lives, who has, he, he has a perfect purity of heart. For Jesus, pure in heart doesn't have to do with being perfect. It's not about measuring up. It's about what we want from our relationship with Jesus. Unhealthy intent in a relationship can look great for a long time. And it can look one way to others, but there is always a point where intent begins to give birth to the, the, to the seeds that it has sown. Why do you do what you do? Intent is powerful. Why, why do you post about Black Lives Matter on Instagram? Is it because you didn't want people to think poorly of you? What happens if the vocal majority shifts or this moment passes? Why did you give generously during COVID? Is it because you didn't want to seem selfish? Or what would happen when suddenly the need isn't so clear? Does our generosity end? Intent is a powerful thing. And the way that verse 8 could possibly be read is, Blessed are those who have left behind the preoccupation with how well they are doing, and they are simply captivated by Jesus, for they are seeing God. Purity of heart for Jesus is about our intent, our aspiration, what we are reaching towards. And this is what we have to get back to. Is mercy just a good idea? Or my challenge to you today is mercy a word that describes your life. In a world where we are often discipled down a track of being mean instead of being merciful, how are we making mercy a word to define our life? In the equations of our mind, mercy is meant for the deserving and judgment is meant for the deserving. But in the equation of the kingdom of God, Jesus is not qualifying the distribution of mercy, but rather he's simply blessing it. He's simply saying that when you begin to show mercy, you are suddenly in sync with the heart of God. I love how Brian Zahn puts it when he talks about our intent, how it can extend past what we think is, is perfectly set in place. He says, when you can blame, have mercy. When you can shame, have mercy. When you can criticize, have mercy. When you can condemn, have mercy. When you have a political disagreement, have mercy. When you have a theological disagreement, have mercy. When you are certain you are completely right, have mercy. When you could exact revenge or get even, have mercy. So that when you pray, Lord, have mercy on me, there will be a large reservoir of mercy for God to draw from, to remind you of, and to lead you to. God's mercy is always freely given, but sometimes when mercy is lacking in our lives, we can't see it for ourselves. And when our intent comes to this place, we see that the pure in heart see God because the pure in heart show mercy. The pure in heart have an intent that is not about themselves. The pure in heart desire compassion and kindness and justice for those outside of their own benefit. The pure of heart change the world in a way that the God of the universe desires it to be. And my hope for you this morning is that we would become a people who make daily decisions of mercy that our intentions would begin to reflect a purity of heart 
because of the person of Jesus. We're going to place a couple different reflections on the screen right now. As I pray, I would encourage you to pause and take a moment. Mercy is difficult. Purity in heart seems impossible. But remember, it begins with the place of simply saying, Lord, I need you. I don't have it all put together. I don't have enough to make it all happen. But when we come to God out of this place of desperate need, we are met with just enough to start pushing us forward to believe that all that we desire and even more is possible because of who Jesus is. So let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that mercy is possible through you, that a purity of heart is possible through you, and that has so much to do with our heart and not simply our actions, that it doesn't begin with simply doing nice things, but it begins with the intentions of our heart being turned towards you and your kingdom, that that would be the translation into action, that we would sense you and be drawn to you and that mercy would become a principle and characteristic of our life in which we would respond to situations that the world would say does not make sense, but it would come to you over and over again and reflect that this is who Jesus is and this is the kingdom of God that he is calling us towards. To show mercy, to show kindness, to show pardon and to be as you were to us, as you are to us. Give us courage this day to lean into this promise of a kingdom people. To you be the glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope you enjoyed that message. Please subscribe to stay up to date with every weekly message. For more information on City Collective, please visit www.citycollective.com. Or if you're in the greater Vancouver area, come visit us for Sunday. You can find more about our church and how you can get involved with what God is doing in the Lower Mainland. Have a great day.